Oh yeah, I've been working a lot, and we, we're restarting the tour. Like I have like two shows, then I have a break of ten days, and then I start back pretty much every day or every second day until next August. How do you feel about that? Uh, you know, I have th- three children, so and a wife, and I, I guess this is the most difficult part of my job. Even though I love touring and I love uh, my, my 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 job, but being always, <clears throat> um, you know, distant and far from the the children, and not being always um, just nearby to see them, you know, growing up on all the, those little details of life, you know, those little things, the the routine that makes life interesting, you know. And uh, I guess this is the, like the most frustrating thing but the the job is so exciting so i have i, I can't i cannot complain you know I, I don't have the right to complain i have job i'm, I'm having concerts uh, I, I remember when i was 18 or 20 or 23 and i was playing in front of um, an empty room you know uh, with like 20 people sitting and watching and wondering if what i'm doing is good or not <laughs> so so I, i'm not gonna complain what kept you going through those those moments when people weren't showing up I would say dedication, you know, I'm, I've always known that music was my life. I, I wasn't necessarily always knowing that it would be my job, but it definitely was going to be my life. So doing music was not something that I would negotiate. I would never discuss this, you know. So since day one, when I started, when I decided that it was going to be my my job and this is how I was going to make a living. There was no discussion about it. You know, I was just going to do this, whether there would be people or not watching and listening. I talked to a lot of musicians and the vast majority of them are telling me these stories about their parents were nervous about them going into the music business. It's obviously very difficult to succeed in. It's, it's not very stable. It sounds to me like you had almost the opposite experience, that your father really kind of pushed you into this to a certain extent. And I didn't want to. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to be an architect. I wanted to uh, rebuild Lebanon. And I, I was born in Lebanon I, and I grew up seeing my motherland being completely destroyed by bombs and, and crazy people. So I, 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 in, I, my aim was to participate to the reconstruction of my country. So I never, when I was young, I, I, I would have never imagined that music would be my choice, uh, you know, as a job. Um, but then at some point, you know, there was some, kind of, um, um, you know, you're, you don't always decide your path, you know, it, it's, it's sometimes uh, just obvious. So m- maybe my father and my parents saw something that I didn't see, that I couldn't see. I was too young to see it. Uh, but at some point it was obvious, you know, that um, they, they raised me in a, f- in a culture where music was everything, was uh, where, where it, Whenever you needed to express something, you needed to do it through music. Whenever you were sad, there was music to heal you. When, whenever you were happy and, and, and joyful, you had the music to express it. Like music was everywhere, every second of our life in our family. Music was the, the answer for everything. 
in some ways you would anticipate that a musician would encourage their children to play music, but a lot of times I speak to musicians who have kids and a lot of times it almost dissuade them because again, you know, people who have gone through that process know how difficult better than anybody else how difficult it can be. It's actually my case. I actually do not encourage my children <laughs> into music. But, my, you know, my father had another experience. I mean, I, I, I don't know if you wanted to talk about it, but, but my, my father's life is, is extremely interesting in terms of symbolics. You know, he, 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 will, he, will, he grew up in Lebanon. Uh, he was, his family were, was a poor family of, of the Lebanese mountain, and he just fell in love with trumpet. You know, he, his father used to play trumpet in the fanfares, you know, the French fanfares uh, during the Lebanese, the French mandates in, in Lebanon. So they grew up in this, and, you know, he fell in love with this instrument, and he wanted to learn so he left everything in Lebanon and he came to France and he wanted to study uh, trumpet, how to play trumpet. He wanted to be a classical music, musician, you know. And he, he was an Arab who didn't know anything about, about Western culture, you know. So, and after a while, after a few years, you know, he, he, he worked so hard and he became a classical musician in France on trumpet. So th this um, dedication again that he decided to um, to express all his life, uh, that's the reason why I became a musician. So the, if you, I don't know how to, how to say this, but he, he didn't only encourage me to play trumpet or to play music. He made it as important as being alive to be a musician. Be, uh, like, if you are a musician, your life will be better. So what is it in your own experience that makes you want to dissuade your children from following that path? There are so many musicians, so many good artists. Um, internet made it also very easy for everybody to express. And, and that's great, actually. That, that's a good thing. I'm, I'm not against it. But now... If you want to make a living as a musician, man, it's, it's going to be very difficult, you know. It made it easier to make music. It made it harder to make a living making music. To make a living, absolutely. So, so music is very important, but, but being a musician, maybe not anymore, you know, maybe not. As you alluded to earlier, you can be a musician, but not necessarily make it your job. Not, not, yeah, being a musician, I, I, I was, oh, yeah, sorry, I, I was meaning as, as a professional. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you encourage them, though, just generally to pick up instruments? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I bought, like, all kinds of instruments at home, maybe pianos, drums, flutes, uh, 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 percussions, uh, guitars, I said, I said guitars, trumpets, brass, all kinds of things, you know, and I, melodica, flutes, I don't know what, you know, and I, I, and I want them to... Um, you know, express the feelings through music. And like my, my, my elder daughter, she sings all the time. And you know, that the, the, my children, they, they live through music, but yeah, I, I was obviously, I was talking about like the being a professional. This is, this is, this is really something that I, I definitely would not encourage. Now, 
let me say, let me precise. If 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 one of my children, of some of them, show like something that is extraordinary and like they really deserve to be seen and heard, and I would push them and I would help them, you know. But if they don't, <laughs> and if they just like enjoy playing music, and that that would be enough, and that would be great, you know. How old are your kids? Uh, the elder is 13. It's going to be 14 in a few days. And uh, the young ones are two years old and six months. For good reason, people don't want to always talk about, you know, the benefits of the pandemic, obviously. Like, I've, I've talked to people who are, like, very quiet when they when they talk about, like, in, in some ways how shutdowns were, were, were good for some creative people, you know, writers, composers. But one thing that really – I don't have children myself, but one thing that really struck me is – for people who tour professionally, it gave you that time back and it, and it gave you a chance to, you know, effectively see your kids grow up in a way that you can't when you're on tour for a year. Yes. And if I might, if I may add something, my grandmother, who was 99 years old, uh, when she left us, uh, she was in her 100 year. <laughs> yeah. So I had the chance uh, to uh, live with her. Uh, she was living in my home, in my house for like two, three years before she died. And uh, all this COVID phase era, era, <laughs> that was a little bit strange. Uh, we were together at home talking all the time. And I, and I had the chance to uh, spend so much time also with my children but also with my grandmother. And that was one of the most wonderful periods of my life, actually. In that period, what did, what did you learn from your, you know, nine, uh, a nonagenarian grandmother? <laughs> Resilience. She was talking about so many of her experiences in life, like very sad or bad experiences and, and the way she was talking about it was like uh, <laughs> every conversation was a lesson. Uh, how to overcome difficulties, how to not focus on the, on the bad sides of things, how to um, try to only see the beautiful parts of people, how to be always uh, empathetic, always uh, try to understand other people, uh, she she was a very wise woman, a very modern, very avant-garde in everything she did in her life. She was very, very always in the avant-garde, you know, side of things. She was uh, a very powerful woman. She was the she was the, the the pillar, you say, of our family. You know, she was the 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 pillar. I like interviewing older artists on the show because there's something that you get with the long view. When it comes to, you know, looking at your own struggles, obviously we all struggle with different things to a different degree. But when you talk to somebody who has like really been through it, it puts a lot of your own struggles into perspective. Oh my God. She, she lived three wars, three huge wars in her life. She lived in three different continents in her life. She lost a child. She, you know, she lost her husband like 44 years ago. 
and she lived for 40 years without any man, just by herself, independent woman, you know, uh, widow, strong, powerful woman, raising her children. <laughs> like, it's, it's, you know, such a, such a beautiful woman, you know, like a, an example for everybody. She was someone. So she was native to Lebanon? Yeah. Did she leave the country at the, as the same time, at the same time as your family, your media family? A little bit later, she actually um, was born in Alexandria, actually, in Egypt. You know, they were uh, Lebanese of Egypt. And then she went back to Lebanon to study for like 10 years. And then um, she stayed a little bit longer. Then she went back to Egypt. And then she went back and married in Lebanon. Then she lived until 85 or 6. And then because of the civil war, of course, she, she, she stayed a little bit, but then she couldn't handle you know so she she came to france and joined our family in france and then she spent the rest of her life here with us you know i live in the states obviously i'm i'm i was born here you know we've been here for a few generations so i i don't have that i mean i'm glad but i i don't have that context of immediate family members who who lived through that and i i can't imagine how much that colors somebody's outlook on life it, it, I think it brings either death or wisdom. You know, people who uh, lived this kind of strong and difficulties, uh, difficult experiences, they, they are even not here anymore to talk about it, or they became very, very wise, you know, and very strong people. I mean, I asked you about your, your grandmother specifically, but I mean, even with your parents, what kind of wisdom do you think they glean from that experience? My, my father is more traumatized than um, anything else. Uh, he, when he left Lebanon during the war, when we left, I mean, and, and came to France. You were how old at the time? I was a baby. Yeah, um, that's why I, I lived all my life in France, like really, literally all my life. But I was born in Lebanon. But we used, we used to spend a lot of time in Lebanon, even during the war. So I, I usually say that I consider that I spent approximately a quarter of my life in Lebanon, even though we lived here in France. So, so my, my, father, my father's dream was to be able to go back to Lebanon. You know, he was, he, he had a job. He was a teacher in the Beirut Conservatoire. He used to play at the the national orchestra, you know, he had, he, he was doing very well, you know, before the war started. So he, he, he was hoping that the war would stop, finish, and then he would be back there working, raising his children in the beautiful Lebanon, you know, but then the, the war lasted so long, 16, 17 years. So he was traumatized. He, 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 he was torn, you know, he was, um, he, he has a, a very, he has a scar that never closes, you know, his, even now he's 82 and he says, yeah, yeah, I, I, one day I'll be back to Lebanon. I want to live in Lebanon. And he's, he's 82, you know, and he's still in, in France. So it's almost, uh, it, it, would be, it would be almost, you know, funny if it wasn't so serious, you know. Had you given any thought at any point to moving back there or, you know, spending, I guess, more time? No, you know, I'm, 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 I, I consider myself as Lebanese and French. 
uh, culturally, I'm, I'm like I'm like both of them. I'm not like I'm, I don't I don't say half and half. I say 100% Lebanese and 100% French. You know, but uh, you know uh, when you say you're French but you're Lebanese also in the same time, it means you're actually Middle Eastern and Western in the same time. It's not it's not that you're French like specifically from French culture. You know, I'm 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 a Western guy and a Middle Eastern guy. You know, so. Um, so I, I I I believe I belong to both worlds, and and I feel I feel good in this. So when I go to Lebanon, I'm happy, but when I'm in France, I'm happy too, you know. And when I spend time in New York or in LA, and and I visit my friends or have uh, to work there, I feel very comfortable, you know. I feel I feel almost home, you know. So I I I'm kind of a nomad who you know nomad who who travels and who feels good everywhere. So I wouldn't consider going back to Lebanon. I don't need to. I have my family here and I'm working here. I'm good. I'm in New York myself. I live in Queens. But, you know, New York, Los Angeles, you know, certainly Paris. These are places where, I mean, you know, we, we use the term melting pot, but, but everybody lives there. No, so yeah. Nobody stands out when you've got the entire world represented. Yeah, absolutely. And I love this. And, and I think it's something that I miss sometimes when I'm in Lebanon. Because, you know, Lebanon is a very beautiful country, but the melting pot is not as big as in the big cities that you just mentioned. How far down the architectural path did you go? Uh, I wish I would have <laughs> done more. I mean, to be fair, we wouldn't be here, ta- we wouldn't be here speaking if you had done more arch- architecture. <laughs> <laughs> who knows? You know, there are, you have geniuses who do both. <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, I, I think I would have... Uh, I would have loved to go further, but I guess I wasn't made for it. Were you actually passionate about architecture? Because it sounds like the initial drive and, you know, completely understandably was to rebuild your family's homeland. You know, I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You didn't get that far. No, I, I used to draw all the time. I used to draw buildings. I used to draw like interesting very creative walls and stuff you know uh, i used to um, even draw the interior of houses you know I, I liked this i really liked it really until the age of 20 22 i think I, when i was 22 you know i was at the paris conservatoire and if you would have told me do you want to be an architect i would have said yeah maybe right after this you know i would do that i, w- I would go to architecture school and do it I was maybe the only one ignoring that I was never going to do it. <laughs> you know, I I was watching the video you made for the song Beirut and listening to you discuss architecture and what initially drove you to 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 want to do that. It strikes me that to a certain extent, that's something that you can do through music. That music is obviously a it, it, you know, not in the same way as building somebody house, but it is a, it's a very healing thing and it's a very uniting thing. You know, I, I sometimes say this, I say that, um, unfortunately I, I, I didn't contribute to the construction of the environment in which we live, but in another way I contribute to the environment in which we live when we have our eyes closed the architecture of our souls. You know, when we close your eyes, you listen to music, it shapes the environment in which you are living. 
you know, and, and I believe this is how I, in a way, in a different way, became some kind of architect, you know, of sounds. Was that song written in Beirut? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was walking, I was walking in Beirut when I was 12 years old, and I was discovering for the first time the, the ruins of this city, you know. And uh, I was very disappointed, of course, because I, my parents didn't want me to see the, the bombings and the, you know, the, 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 the city destroyed. They didn't want me to see this. So when I saw it for the first time, I was actually walking into inside the ruins and I was shocked. And I was, you know, at that age, I used to compose a lot uh, already. So, I, I, yeah, I was composing the melody and um, it became this song, this, this music. You composed that song when you were 12? Oh, I used to compose even younger. I used to compose when I was seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Like even even music that I play now, some of them uh, were composed when I was eight or ten. You know, something that I had read about you is that you had been composing for most of your life. But usually, when people do that when they're younger, it's sort of a stepping stone. It's a way to you know to 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 to, to I guess try it out to build your skill set. But not a lot of people revisit that from so long ago i never forgot i've never forgotten those melodies never because they shaped me you know they uh, built me they um i i i was i i wasn't a very uh, i don't know how to say that <laughs> I, I, I was a little bit sad when i was young i wasn't like a very joyful j- child i became a joyful person with age and i'm actually lightening and lightening even more and more my life and i think the more i'm getting old and the nicer is my life and the the more joy i express but when i was young i was a sad child you know uh i I wasn't so um I, i i couldn't express myself easily i was uh very intimidated by people always thinking and feeling things that I kept for me. So music was my only way to express myself. And um, I used to express things that a, that a child wouldn't express. You know, I mean, I mean um, when, when you experience life and sad things of life when you're very young, it shapes you in a in a different way you know and then you then you learn how to live with it and then you you know music and your life and your friends and uh, your wife and your children they actually contribute to help you heal all those all those things and then then hopefully at at some time you're healed right and you're happy and you're and a happy man you know but but when you're young and you need to express something so through music, those melodies are not childish. They, they, they were created by a child, but they were not childish. And I never forgot them. You know, I've, I've always remembered those melodies. And now when I play them, I, I'm actually playing the melody that, that a child composed, but not a, but not a child with a childish mind. A child with a... <laughs> with the mind of someone who who already experienced things that the child should not ex- experience. It's an interesting thing to watch 
all kinds of different artists, but I, I think this especially applies to music that when we're younger, we often have a habit of overcomplicating things for the sake of overcomplicating them. And in a certain sense, as, as you get older and get more mature, things actually get simpler, that you distill the parts of that art that matter. Yes. And I would say when you choose the hard way at an early age, it makes everything much easier when you get older. If you're lucky. I mean, sometimes that can lead to a bad place. Maybe. Maybe. Not, not, not in my case. I mean, I mean I've, uh, I, my life today is the easiest part of the I've ever experienced in my <laughs> entire life. You know, it's the nicest part, you know. Having responsibilities is easy for me. You know, I, you know it, it, I, do, I don't see it as something difficult. I see it as the most beautiful thing in life. You know, being responsible of children, uh, enjoying my time with my students, uh, working on music with people, and having my company with like 10 to 12 employees. And all those responsibilities for me, are just joy, pure joy. I don't see it as, as something difficult. I've struggled with joy at points in my life. I think that from that standpoint, we were probably pretty similar when we were younger. Um, but I was going to ask what the secret is, but it sounds like the secret is just to live a good life. No, music, 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 my friend. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely music. At, at least having the opportunity to express yourself through some kind of media. You just revealed something of, of, of your life, and I actually appreciate that you're being uh, transparent with me. But you know what, what you're doing now, these interviews you're doing, it's, it's the same thing that what I do when I play music. It's our therapy. It's our therapy, you know? It's the way we contribute to make this world better. So I, I, my answer is music, because I'm a musician. But in, in your case, I would say expressing yourself through what your passion is. That's the solution. <laughs> I'm a writer is my main thing, but, but this allows me, I mean, you do, you do connect with people as a writer in the sense that they read your things, but this is a, a much yeah. more immediate connection. And I was thinking about that from the standpoint of, again, I had seen you describe this, you know, not, not only were you hesitant to, early on become a, a professional musician and, and not only were you not immediately drawn to the trumpet but it sounds like you may have struggled with li some live performance early on and and the thing that i hear from every musician is that that's when you recharge you know that's that's when you get energy directly from people is when you play to uh, when you play with other musicians but also when you play to a crowd it does contribute in, in, in my case, I would, I would, I would share uh, this. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't um, consider the recharging thing that you're talking about only when when there are shows or with the people. I, I, I recharge when I teach. I recharge when I'm just composing music. I recharge when I'm playing songs that I love of other people. I recharge when I listen to good music, uh, you know. 
Um, so it's not only the connection, you know, with live, with people in live. It's the connection with people anyways, even with people who maybe lived 600 years ago. You know, when I listen to Bach, for example, I feel a connection with him, even if he doesn't know me, <laughs> he didn't know me or anything. But but the connection I will have with his music and his soul, that's a connection too. You know, when I listen to Miles Davis and and I love his sound and I hear him blowing into the embouchure of his trumpet and I hear the, or his tongue, you know, hitting on the embouchure, I feel connected to this man, you know. And uh, so the connection, of course, of live shows is so important and it helps recharging, but the connection can be also everywhere. We just have to be open and, you know, um, ready to receive it. I love that Miles Davis thing because, you know, one of my really, not my, my entree, but the first time I really connected with Bach as musician was through Glenn Gould, his, through his piano playing. And I was speaking to a, a professor who taught classical music and I, I asked him where, where I should start. And he, he told me, listen to, Glenn Gould's two recordings of the Goldberg variations because he did one when he was in his twenties and he did one towards the end of his life. I love them. Both and them. you can really hear how a musician experiences the same set of songs completely differently at different points in their life. Yeah. That's so interesting. Sometimes he played it in a very mechanic way and sometimes he decided to express more feelings into it yeah 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 it's very interesting and 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 miles also depending on when in his life he wouldn't express you know his emotions the same way yeah it's 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 interesting to analyze sometimes um you know now when i when i play my music i try not to think too much about those things like how am I expressing my sound? Because the more you try to analyze it, the less you're natural about it, the, the, the less you're authentic. So I try not to think too much about it when, I, when I'm playing, when I'm creating, and I, I, I let my instinct you know, decide. Yeah, and uh, you know another reason why I bring up Glenn Gould specifically, it just occurred to me as you were describing that aspect of Miles Davis is he had the tendency to hum while he was playing. And, and that picks up in the recording. And oh yeah, Pablo Casals, you know, if you listen to his recordings, you can hear, sometimes you can hear the, the chair creak and you can hear the bow on the strings. You know, uh, I'm, I'm a big Thelonious Monk fan. And it's the same, when you listen to his live, like you can hear him interacting with it. And, and there's something that I think that, this sort of push in production to make music sound pristine and, and perfect, that we lose a little bit of that, that human element that you're describing. Oh, now, now in the productions, there's nothing about this anymore. It's all computer, <laughs> mostly. It's all auto-tune, it's all compressed, and, and, there's, and there's something, you know, there, there's something beautiful in the imperfections that you get in the music. Oh, yeah. Now, now, now we definitely seeking perfection all the time 
even you know even in faces of people they they want their faces to be perfect they want their lives to be perfect on instagram you have to show the best part of your life all the time and the best face and <laughs> and yeah yeah i i'm i'm i i that's i definitely disagree with this this uh, times uh when i record my albums i always surprise the sound engineers and the people who work with me because i tell them please do not correct my mistakes please you know i know i know you were self-releasing on your own label it sounds like that wasn't necessarily that didn't come about through necessity it's you know obviously especially now the success that you've experienced i'm sure that you've been approached by some of the biggest labels what 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 kept you independent um freedom fair enough yeah you know i don't want to i don't want to have any artistic director telling me not to do this or not to release this or i don't know what i, I mean i've this you know when you taste when you taste the the the, the taste of freedom there's no way you can accept anything else no way so when you're linked to a, through a contract to a major company even a major company who would put lots of money actually the more money they put and the more power they have on you right so so i don't want this i mean i'm an I just want to be in French. We say artisan. I don't know how you say how they say this in English, but uh, I, you know, I, I do artisanal music, even on a large scale. Sometimes, you know, some albums are very well sold, and I do big shows and stuff. You know, it can be artisanal music can be on a large scale sometimes, but but I don't want to be working in an industry. You know, that scares me. <laughs> was it a more difficult path do you think oh yeah yes because you know when you're 17 20 25 and they're like major says okay i want you i'm signing you three albums here is like 400k euros and you can live the best life ever and buy a car and da 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 da, da. and you have nothing to do just go in a studio record your music and go tour that's easy. Um, I didn't have this chance. I, I knocked on the door and the doors of most of the companies and everyone said, oh, we love your music, but we will never be able to sell it because we don't know how to sell this kind of music. And I, would des I was desperate at some times. And my manager at that time, I was 22, he said, you know what? You don't need them. Just build your own label and see what happens, you know? And that was the best decision in my life. But I had to do everything, everything myself. You know, when I, when I, when I did my first arena uh, in 2016, the first time I played in a big arena in France, I was broke. Totally broke, you know. Um, and suddenly I became in 24 hours from a jazz man who was successful, I became like a star, a pop star. And I was like, wow, I was broke. And then suddenly 
I'm offered to some kind of celebrity that I wasn't expecting at all. So, you know, every step of, of my path was something, was a risk I took. Always, 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 always. I'm not saying I'm happy with the celebrity thing. I'm not, it's not what I mean. But I mean that every time I had to, every time as I had to step up, you know, in, in my choices, it was always um, um, a risk, a huge risk I was taking. It's something that you don't have to do when you have major companies behind you. You don't have to take those risks, you know. Every step up I had, it was an all-in. Okay, I'm putting everything I have. If it doesn't work, it's over. Maybe I will do architecture or something else, you know. Every time, every, every single time I had to step up, I had to take those kind of choices. Do you still experience that to any extent? I mean, you know, now that you're at the level that you're at, is there ever still that sense of, I guess this could all go away? Yes, of course. I mean, it's, it, it can fade out definitely anytime, you know. Um, if you disappoint your audience, if you are not respecting them, you know, if you go on stage and you don't care, if you, you know, if you don't give a, a shit, <laughs> you know, of course you could lose everything because people, you know, they give you your tr- their trust. And if you are not respecting their trust, they leave you. That it's like in a couple, it's like in a family, you know, it's the same, you know. People love you, but if you don't respect them, they just leave, right? So it's the same. But but in another way, I had a, 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 a beautiful and, and really very cool success in France, in Europe, in the Arab countries. But like most people in the United States totally ignore who I am, Right. Or in South America, you know, there are people who listen to, you know, like it's a niche, like some rare people would listen to my music, but like not so many, like it's almost nobody, you know, right? So, so when I go to the United States, I feel like, oh, I'm like 25 years old and I have to start everything over, you know, and I like that. And, you know, it's, and, and, and it's fine. I like it. I like it. It's like a challenge, you know. You know, so it's, it, you never get bored. I mean, the planet Earth is so big. <laughs> you know, yeah, nobody's Michael Jackson, right? <laughs> so you have to, you have to uh, build your, your life and your career in a way, you know, and it, and it took me 20 years to get to this point. It's not like uh, suddenly, like, I was uh, 20 uh, and then at 22, everything opened. And like, uh, it took me 20 years to build this life, you know? So, uh, so I'm, so I'm, so I'm always, uh, uh, eager to new challenges. Yeah. There's this idea, um, of it taking, I've heard people express this before of it taking 10 years to become an overnight success. Have you heard that people describe that? Yeah, no, not, not really, but I, I understand that some people could like do theories about it. It took you a long time, as you said, to get to that place where you're playing arenas, but it sounds like. I may be misinterpreting this, but it sounds like that that arena show was a huge turning point, that things just weren't the same the next day. Yeah. 
Actually, we did two arenas, one in 2016, uh, one in 20, 2022, so one year and a half, one year ago, and the next one is in November. And the show is already sold out, and, and it, it shows you that you always have you know, the struggle never, never stops. It's not like you reach a point where everything is granted. You always have to prove that you deserve it. You see? So, so you're right in a way, but it doesn't mean it's granted. How dramatically different is that experience, you know, of, of I guess coming here and probably in a lot of cases playing like a, like a nightclub, you know, similar again, as you said, to when you were 18 or or in your early 20s, how, how do you approach something like an arena show? You know, when, when you, like, when, let's, let's say when, I, when I'm in LA and I'm playing in a small club of 500 people, I know that, in, like, th- that among those 500 people, maybe there are like 100 people who know me. <laughs> the other ones are here because their friend told them, oh, you should listen to Ibrahim. It's interesting, you know, so I have to... I have to be talking to someone who doesn't know anything about me and try to communicate with someone who doesn't know me. It's like when you're on a street and you just would like to talk with someone who sounds nice, who looks uh, cool, and you want to just have a conversation. So usually people are looking at you like, am I going to like it? Am I, is this man interesting or did I spend my money for nothing? Am I going to be disappointed? They are in this kind of situation and they want to like it. They are willing to like it. But if you disappoint them in any little thing, they might say never again. Whereas when you are in an arena, you have 20,000 people who know exactly why they are here. They've been to your shows for a few years already, many times. They know you. It's, it's like family. They are here. They know they are not going to be disappointed. So it's easier because you have to surprise them, not to convince them, which is a little bit different. It's, it's, it, it becomes, um, maybe there is a little bit more... You have, you, it's a different, if it's a different show, you don't have to convince anyone anymore, but you have to surprise them and to make them think that they have, feel that they, ex- they, they experienced something that they haven't experienced before. They shouldn't experience the same thing that they felt two years ago when they came to watch you. Otherwise, they're not going to come the third time anymore. Maybe to a certain extent, that's also a reflection of who's going to see jazz shows because, you know, you hear these stories of these, I interview a lot of rock musicians and in a lot of cases, they're people who have been playing for decades and, you know, they're, and this isn't an, I'm not casting aspersions, but their, you know, peak was, you know, a a while ago, it happens. Like that's how, you know, as you said, that's how the music industry works, but people come to that in a lot of cases, wanting to hear the songs they know. And it sounds like this is a different experience. You, yeah, in my case, what, I'm tr- what I try to do is to bring, to bring, how do you say, bring up those um, 
moments that people are expecting and play them, but always try to surprise them in a different version. Uh, so I never... I try not to play every time the same version. Like each tour, I would like change things, make it, you know, make it more this or that, you know, do little tweaks in it to, to, to make it sound really different. And I, and hopefully maybe a little bit better if, if it works, you know, uh, try to shape it in a different way so that people say, Oh, I love this song. Oh, he played it differently and I liked it. That gets back to that the conversation we were having earlier about simplicity, you know, in I, I've often heard it said that a, a, a good song is a song that will be a good song regardless of what you play it on, you know, what instrument you play it on. And yeah. having that simple foundation the, these are these are you know architecture right the, the, this is this is the foundation that you lay the house on top of absolutely are you are you a musician i'm i'm terrible i have no yeah. aptitude for i've tried and i just I, I just don't have that gene because because what you're saying is so right and i i really believe this when i was 40 years old two years ago i did an album i called it 40 melodies and I took 40 of the melodies that I recorded in my previous albums. And usually on those albums, it was like very produced, arranged, orchestrated, strings, sounds, electronics, blah, 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 blah. And those 40 melodies, I just wanted to record those melodies, just trumpet with a guitar. That's it. Just in the basic foundation of the melody. How did it sound when I composed it the first time before doing the whole arrangement thing and, and producing thing? And I loved recording this album. I loved it because it, make me, it made me feel that the, the same feeling I had when I composed those melodies. I felt exactly the same feeling I had, like me just memories. It's like postcards. Do you revisit songs that you've already recorded? Do you, will you record them again in different forms? It didn't happen a lot, but on this album, I, it did. Uh, otherwise, no. No, usually I don't. What was that experience like of taking these familiar songs and, you know, it, it sounds like transforming them in a, in a radical way, even beyond what you were describing before from tour to tour? Yes, it was very radical, <laughs> you know. Uh, some of the musics, I usually play them with like 500 people on stage. And then I was like, just me and the guitarist, you know. It, it, it was, you know, it, <laughs> I actually said it because in, even on the cover of the album, it's like a picture of me when I was young. And in the, in, in the inside, it's only like pictures, old pictures. It, it felt to me the same feeling that you have when you look at old pictures only like memories you know oh i remember i was at this place there was uh, this and this and that just nearby i was talking to na 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 and we talked about this musician or this album or we talked about nature and da, da, da. you know like how you remember the, the memories, like, oh, you look at a, at a picture and it reminds you 
worlds, it was exactly the same feeling. Each melody was reminding me thousands of memories like a picture. I keep getting back to this song, Beirut, but I, but I think it, it speaks to a lot of things. And something I've always been curious about is, you know, I, I'm a writer, right? So I, I can be, I can be very literally, literal minded sometimes. And, <laughs> you know, I, I obviously understand when you're writing a song with, with lyrics, how those lyrics evoke something like, like place and time. In the case of instrumentals, and and in in the case of you know hopefully you're recording the song that has the power to to a certain extent transport other people to the place that you're playing about how do you how do you distill something like a place in a piece of music uh, I, my point of view my perspective is that it's only about emotions not, nothing else it's not about words. It's not about definitions. It's not about etymology. It's not, you know, it's just emotions. You know, sometimes you have, uh, you know, when you, you have um, fragrances that you, you know, you and that evokes. They, they say that that smell is the the sense closest link to memory. Yeah, absolutely. I have the same feeling when I eat some kind of food, you know, like depending of the spices, of the ingredients, you know, it, it you can definitely jump from a place to another place on earth in on a, in, in the, with the time of a snap just because you ate something and suddenly it like projects you somewhere else, you know, and it tells you a story. It's it's the same, you know. It it it's for me it's only about emotions. Emotions say everything. You don't have to put words. <laughs> 